Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, Will Hobbs, head of UK Multi-Asset Wealth, talks to Ryan Blute, Managing Director at PIMCO, about another year with central banks centre stage for investors. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the final edition of Word on the Street for this year. I hear you all uh, sigh with relief or otherwise. Um, today, we've got another one of our superstar guests, as you would have heard from the introduction. So, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us. Um, we're really going to focus today on the Federal Reserve and U.S. interest rates. Preamble before I let Ryan uh, set Ryan off the lead uh, is that however much we may want our domestic economy to matter in line with you know, where we live, uh, we tend to exaggerate its importance in the context of the world of capital markets. It's really, uh, really only the U.S. economy and central bank that matters. Still, you know, there's degrees of freedom here. Overwhelmingly, experience of the U.K. Uh, EM assets. Anyway, you look, uh, it's determined by the U.S. economy's progress and what the central bank um, therein um, does. So. This is where you need to have your focus. That's the preamble. With that, Ryan, let's get into the sort of the basics. So the Federal Reserve, US Central Bank, tell us a little bit about the role it has, how it's staffed, and what its ambitions are, I guess. Sure. Th- thank you. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to be here on this podcast with you. So thank you for the invitation oh, on behalf of everybody at PIMCO. Um, the Federal Reserve really is set up to achieve two mandates, and that makes it a little bit different than the Bank of England and yeah. the ECB, which we can talk about in a minute. But yeah. the Federal Reserve is trying to shoot at two different targets at the same time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they can be in alignment, sometimes they're in conflict. And their two targets are price stability, Mm -hmm. which is generally defined as around 2% inflation, and then doing that consistent with full employment or maximum employment. So they want the economy to be doing well, they want people in jobs, but they also don't want inflation running too hot. And Mm -hmm. so they're trying to balance their policies to achieve those dual mandates. Now, the Bank of England is a little bit different than the Bank of England, just has a single mandate, which is try to get to about 2% inflation. They don't have to worry about doing that at the same time as, consi- as keeping full employment. It's a little bit different in terms of the setup. And how much should we focus? I mean, a lot of the, uh, naturally, a lot of the sort of the media and other focus is on the individual, the chair of the central bank. How much is that actually, should we ignore that to a degree as a sort of an oversimplification of what these huge institutions, staffers, research projects, all this kind of stuff, how do we balance that? And how, do we, how should we think of this being people? Sure. Much? No, it's a very good question. I mean, it's a little bit like uh, if you're the superstar singer in a band, maybe you get all the attention, but there's a whole band behind you. (laughs) And um, I think in the case of the Fed or or the Bank of England, it's it's similar. The the chairperson gets the most limelight because he or she is doing the press conferences, and they're the person most associated with what the bank is doing. Mm -hmm. But these banks have armies and armies of researchers and economists who are doing work to feed into the process. And then at the Fed, there's also a committee that meets and that committee then jointly decides what policy is going to be. Now, when I say what policy is going to be, that means what is the interest rate that the central bank wants to set for short-term borrowing? Mm -hmm. And we didn't talk about that yet, but the primary tool that central banks use is setting short-term interest rates. And short-term interest rates, as as our listeners in the UK will know, dictate a lot about borrowing costs. So it has an influence on what you're gonna pay for a car loan, has an influence on what you're gonna pay for your mortgage, and so it's it's one little short-term interest rate of three months, but it has a massive impact on people's and companies' lives. I know it well. My mortgage is up for renegotiation in May next year. So I'm not hoping <laughs> for sharp interest rate cuts from the Bank of England. But that yeah, I wish you the best on it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and you get to that to an interesting point, I guess. So, you know, because what we would expect with interest rates, 
conditioned by you know, study of post-war history primarily is that you raise interest rates um, and the objective is to, like what the theory says, that you should make saving more attractive, spending less so that we cool the economy. Now, the weird thing that's happened this year, and I know we want to get into more of the sort of educational side, but the weird thing, I guess, that's seen this year is that we started with a rash of recession calls because of those rising interest rates. And actually, the US economy, latest retail sales in today, still seems to be motoring. Mm-hmm. So what's going on? Should we, these are long and variable lags of policy, but yes, what's going on? That's a very good question because I think the economy is behaving differently than you might have expected based on the cycles we've seen over the last 40 or 50 years. So generally speaking, when you raise interest rates, the idea is to then uh, tamper inflation and get it down. And you do that because you make the cost of borrowing higher. And if the cost of borrowing is higher, people may save more, businesses won't invest as much, and you can kind of therefore slow down the economy. Now, the U.S. has been behaving a little bit differently this cycle, and a lot of it has to do with the housing market in America. So there's a big difference in the housing market in America versus the U.K. So in the U.K. point just that I made. Exactly. So your comment, Will, about your mortgage being up for renegotiation would not occur if you were living in the U.S. And so when you think about the U.S. economy, housing really drives a lot of it, and a lot of that is driven by what's happening to interest rates. So right now in America, many, many homeowners have mortgages that are 2.5%, 3%, and they've locked that in for 30 years. So even though the central bank has raised interest rates up to five and a quarter to 5.5%, your average man or woman on the street with their mortgage isn't feeling that because he or she is still paying 25 or 3%. So, yeah. so that's why you've seen these big increases in interest rates, and you would have expected more breakage, more defaults, more repossessions and bankruptcies, but that's actually not happening because people – have benefited from the post-COVID boom in house prices, and at the same time, they've locked in very cheap financing for their houses. But you've seen it in existing home sales, which I guess you'd understand because no one's going to move if they're suddenly going to adjust exactly. uh, by that rate. Uh, and just with regards to thinking about next year, so obviously we've gone up the mountain, uh, loads of different, the Matterhorn, the Table Mountain of interest rates, whatever it is, um, and now there's sort of a lot of speculation markets. You know, The story at the moment seems to be you know, how many cuts are going to be, how many cuts in interest rates are there going to be next year, and a lot of that is bound up with will there be a recession? Won't that? To what extent will central bankers be, you know, forced into cutting interest rates? One of the things I think is interesting just to hear from you a little bit is, you know, we hear a lot about um, Arthur Burns, the sort of specter of Arthur Burns in terms of central banking, and a lot of these individuals, they'll be, they'll have their eye on posterity. Uh, they want to be remembered in the right way, and they won't want to be bracketed with Arthur Burns in any way, the guy who left is deceived to let inflation out of the bag in the 1970s. Does that influence? The likelihood of interest rate cuts this year, in your opinion, is the market getting too excited about those things? Yeah, it's a good question. The, um, I mean, they have a funny saying, which is central bank doves don't go to central bank heaven. <laughs> it's only the hawks that get to go to central bank heaven. <laughs> and which is getting to your point about, you know, you, you need to think about your legacy. And these people are individuals and they don't want to be the one who are on the, on the watch when things get out of control. Yeah. It's hard to know how much that really plays into their decision making. I think they're doing the best they can with the data that they see. Yeah. But... You know, operating monetary policy is a little bit like if you've ever gone to a, a hotel and you try to take a shower and you're like constantly messing with the hot water and the cold water, <laughs> trying to get it to the right particular temperature. Monetary policy is a little bit like that because it works with these lags and it's not fine-tuned, precise, precision uh, operations. And so, like my plumbing exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and so oftentimes what they'll want to do is make sure that inflation is definitely where they want it to be before they risk preemptively cutting rates too much. And I guess we want to be wary of exaggerating the influence of central banks on interest rates over the world because they're not just set. Uh, they're set by us, by our behavior, by all sorts of macroeconomic factors. 
actors uh, beyond their control. And I sometimes think we sort of we are they are portrayed as kind of omnipotent individuals uh, who can you know call the economy up and down on a string. But that year, this year has proved untrue. Exactly. And, exactly. And there's other tools that they use. So the the tool that gets the most attention is obviously setting short-term interest rates. But they also do things like that telling banks, like Barclays Bank uh, in the U.S., how much do you need to keep in reserves on the bank balance sheet? And that affects the leverage in the banking system. And so it's called fractional reserve banking. And right. so, so they will fine-tune money supply and the price of money through interest rates, either with their short-term rate or by telling banks you need to hold more or less cash on your balance sheet. So if a customer deposits 100 pounds in the bank, then the bank may get to make 90 pounds of loans and the bank keeps 10 on its balance sheet. So it's something, another tool that they use to just try to fine-tune the economy. Interesting. Yes, that's brilliant. Uh, and Ryan, one final, you know, if you had one tip for investors, listeners, for 2024, what would it be? And we'll finish on that. Sure. I mean, I think one tip for the, for the year ahead is, is to embrace fixed income and, and bonds because, uh, as we like to say, bonds are back. And whether in the UK or America or on the continent, we've lived through 10-plus years of very, very low interest rates. So all of your listeners will be familiar with very small interest rates on their current accounts, uh, very low interest rates on gilts. But we're in a world now where you can invest in a really interesting bond portfolio that's going to yield 5 6 7% without taking a lot of risk. So it's a great time to be a bond investor, which you know, maybe hasn't been the case in, in recent years. Yeah, and, and listeners, you'll be glad to hear that, uh, that Ryan Sports are incorporated into our multi-asset class funds and portfolios. The latest strategic asset allocation has obviously uh, included a lot more fixed income exposure than previous incarnations did. The risk-reward just looks much a lot more attractive. We would still say for those investors looking to the medium term that you want to have some ownership risk, some investment risk as such. That will be acting as a call option on future human productivity, which is a call option which is potentially attractively priced at the moment, giving incoming sort of technological advances. But um, with those two tips, get invested, stay invested, and have a look at uh, have a look at the bond market in particular. Um, Ryan and I will bid you a uh, happy festive season, and we shall speak to you. Ryan won't speak to you next year, but I'll speak to you next year, and hopefully we'll get Ryan back at some stage. Great. Well, thank you so much, Will. I've really enjoyed this. All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.